Then some of those who belonged to the synagogues rose up and disputed with Stephen. And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. In the name of Jesus, amen. Stephen, St. Stephen, even St. Stephen proto-martyr, that's what some people call him, Stephen, the very first Christian martyr, the first one who gave his life for confessing Jesus. He's got a feast day in the church, you may know, December 26th. And you may know that because you know that carol about good King Wenceslaus, who, uh, though he wasn't really a king, was really good, at least good enough to go out the day after Christmas when the snow was deep and crisp and even. You know that. Uh, Well, everything we know about this Stephen fellow Proto-martyr, first martyr, we get from Acts chapters 6 and 7, snippets of which were read as that, that first reading for this fifth Sunday of Easter. Before he was a martyr, Stephen was one of the, the first seven deacons. These were these, these men, these seven men, which the apostles appointed to, to deal with the daily affairs of the church as uh, things started to get a little testy. It seems that the, uh, the, the daily potlucks were becoming occasions for suppers. Uh, the the Hebrew-speaking widows, uh, they, were, they were taking all the fried chicken and picking the, uh, picking the uh, kibasa chunks out of the sauerkraut so that by the time the, the Greek-speaking widows got there, it was just baked beans and cabbage, and there was a big to-do. The apostles didn't want to deal with that stuff, so they appointed these deacons to, amongst other things, uh, tend to those those daily affairs so that the apostles could preach and pray. Well, it turns out that some of these deacons, uh, especially Stephen, we get Philip a little bit later, uh, turns out that not only were they uh, great at policing the potlucks, but they were also quite the preachers themselves. In fact, that God was doing uh, great wonders and miracles through these deacon-turned-preachers to confirm the, the Christ has risen sermons they were preaching. Uh, it turns out more, in fact, that they were so good that word had gotten out to the, to the synagogues uh, that some glorified busboy was going around and, and dissing Moses and the temple and God's law, which for the, the Jews in that day were, were like mom and apple pie and uh, the American way, dissing all the things they, they held dear. And so, and so they go and, and dispute with Stephen. We heard that in the reading. And it's that disputing which then elicits this long sermon. It's 50 plus verses. We didn't read it all. A 50 plus verses in Acts chapter 7 that ends with the synagogue folks taking up stones and Deacon Stephen becoming St. Stephen proto-martyr. All because of a sermon. <laughs> what was it with that sermon? I know we only read the, the first actual first few words of it, then we skipped about 49 verses and, and read, the, read the end of it. But what was it about that sermon? I've preached uh, plenty of sermons myself, plenty of bad ones. I've heard plenty of bad ones, but never have, have stones been thrown at me or by me. But St- Stephen, he gets stoned for his. Why the anger? Why the teeth-grinding rage? At Stephen's sermon. Well, I guess 
there's some probably uh, a turf war stuff going on that Stephen was maybe uh, attracting a crowd that the synagogues wanted at their own places. Uh, there's some mob mentality things. They came to Stephen looking for a fight, and what do you know, they get a fight. Ultimately, we're going to say it's the, the Holy Spirit who blows and doesn't blow where and when he wills and doesn't will. But if we look at this sermon, which we'll do in a minute, I think it's this. I think it's this. The rage, the teeth-grinding rage, came because Stephen challenged their story. He took the story that they told about themselves, of who they were and where they fit into things. He took it, he flipped it, and he turned it inside out. You, you see, we all have stories. They had a story, we have a story, you have a story. It's impossible not to have one. Uh, you, you meet someone, and they might say to you, well, tell me your story, and you tell them your story. And, and it's not just to other people, you see, that you tell your story. important thing to note here is that we're also always telling ourselves a story, our own story. This is who I am. This is how I fit into everything. This is why I do the things I do. And this isn't a profound statement. This is just, this is just uh, the way things are. Any sane human being to stay sane, we might even say being sane, is having a consistent story. We tell stories. Storytelling animals we are. We even tell them while we're sleeping in our dreams. And the problem arises for us because we pick and choose how we tell our stories, especially when it comes to the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. We are not the most honest storytellers. Most of us are very good at picking out the inconsistencies in other people's stories. Does he really think that he's all that? Doesn't she realize? But not so good. Not so good at seeing the problems in our own stories. And, and this is key to the Stephen Sermon thing, and we really, really don't like it when other people challenge the stories we tell about ourselves. I know of a marriage counselor and read some of her things, and she says that 90% of the resentments she sees between the couples that come to her come from the false stories that husbands and wives tell themselves about themselves and their spouses. She says it's almost always, almost always in these cases, one spouse telling a story that says, I'm the responsible one, and he or she is the reckless, immature one, where the other is then telling a story that says, I'm the easygoing, fun one, and he or she is the overbearing, nagging one. (laughs) Neither story is true, she'll say. Not completely anyway. And so she goes on, she claims that the likelihood of saving the marriage is inversely proportional to how insistent each spouse is in holding on to their false story. The more insistent, the least likely. She says many marriages fail, either in divorce or in decades of misery, because like I said, we really, really don't like our stories challenged and have a really, really hard time seeing their faults, and then giving them up. And I think that's what happens with Stephen's sermon, not not a a marriage, of course. 
In the lectionary reading, we skipped most of the sermon, but it's pretty easy to summarize. It's probably why we skipped it. It's kind of just uh, a mom and apple pie kind of stuff. Sunday school sort of, uh, of thing. He hits all the, the big things from the Old Testament stories, Moses and law and temple. Even starting before that, he goes all the way back to, to Abraham, God's ways with his people, right down to, to Stephen and his day. This great story of God overcoming obstacle after obstacle to set the world straight. So he chose Abraham. Chose Abraham from all these idolatrous people, promised to bless the whole world through him, even though there were all these enemies around him constantly. Stephen spends a couple sentences on Joseph, how Joseph, uh, God saved Joseph from the, the jealous brothers. You know that story, they threw him in a pit. He gets to Moses. Moses standing down, hard-hearted Pharaoh, and then over and over having to stand down his own people who'd rather forge a golden calf than be faithful to the God who was yet faithful to them. He gets to Joshua. Joshua, God's still doing his thing even though the people clung to their false gods, the prophets, prophet after prophet. They, they kill the prophets, but God's yet faithful, sends them over and over. Kind of Sunday school stuff. If you've been to Sunday school or Sabbath school in their day, you, you know these stories and you'd, you'd cheer along. The great story of the good God overcoming the bad guys time and time again. In fact, it was so basic, I'm guessing that the people who were listening to Stephen's sermon, who came all hot and ready to, 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 to give it to him, they might have started warming to Stephen. Said, oh, he's not so bad. He's talking about our guys, Abraham and Moses and Joseph, the prophets we love. And it's at that point, <laughs> just, just when they're starting to like him, that the gloves come off and Stephen gives it to him with both barrels. That part we did here. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you do. And he goes on. You, you see what he's doing there? He's taking the story that they just loved and he completely flips the script. The way they told the story about themselves, they're the good guys. And Stephen then goes and tells the exact same story, same characters, but with one crucial difference. He says, not so fast. No, 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 don't stick yourself over there with Abraham, Moses, Joshua, and the prophets. Wrong team. You're over there with Pharaoh, jealous brothers, faithless forgers, and murderers. <laughs> Stephen took the very people that they had inserted in their stories, took the very people that they had everything wrapped up in not being, the people that when they told their stories, they said, well, whoever we are, we're not them. And he said, that's exactly who you are. <laughs> Whoa. To give a little flavor of the feeling in that marriage scenario, it would be something like this. Not that this ever happened. <laughs> it would be like telling the responsible one convinced that he or she is the only thing holding everything together, it'd be like saying, you know what, dear? You're actually a controlling nag. <laughs> and the only thing you're responsible for is misery. Or, or telling the one who's convinced that he or she is the easygoing, fun one, saying, well, actually, dear, you're a reckless, lazy baby. And because of this, because of that, this marriage is easily going down the toilet. <laughs> Don't do that. 
If you're in a relationship where any of that stuff is, is true, I don't suggest that you flip the script and so boldly, 180 degree, 80 degrees, turn your partner's story inside out. Instead, find a good counselor and let them help you do that gently. Because if you don't, and you just let that flip the script truth fly, well, plates might get thrown. <laughs> or in Stephen's case, stones. When they heard these things, they were enraged. How dare you tell our story that way? They ground their teeth at him, and finally they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Which is so very sad. Which is so, not, not, for, not for Stephen, mind you. As they raised and, and looked down for stones to throw at him, we're told that he looked up and he saw Jesus, that he might fall gently into his arms. Not sad for the, for the proto-martyr, but sad for the ragers. Sad that they could not have just held out in the rage just a couple more minutes, given Stephen just a few more sentences to finish the story. To tell them that no, no, the story you've been telling yourselves is not true, but that's okay, because there is a better story. In fact, there's the best story. There's the story of the righteous one. The story of the one who came for the very purpose of gathering up all of our false stories, all of our broken stories, all of our sinful stories into his. If only he'd had another minute to tell them of Jesus, the one in whose death, yes, we are all tangled up, but who rose yet with only a forgiveness story. If only Stephen had had a moment to don his counselor's hat and tell them about the joy and freedom that comes in not having to tell yourself false stories. To tell them that though they were stuck telling themselves false stories at one time, Jesus has made them part of God's story. Stephen tried to tell them that story as he fell asleep in Jesus. In fact, he was trying to tell them. His last words, he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Lord, somehow let them know, let them know of your story. Let them know of page after page of forgiveness, hardbound in grace. But alas, they did not hear it. Not many of them, not then. I hope you have. <laughs> we could spend lots of time and perhaps somewhere else you will thinking and talking about all the false stories we tell ourselves, how hard it is to give them up, how angry we get when someone dares challenge them. But for now, hold on to this. You don't have to tell false stories. <laughs> you don't have to tell any stories about how you are the good one or the responsible one or the fun one or the pretty one, or the smart one, or the victimized one, or the whatever one. You don't have to because, dear child of God, you have been written in to your father's story. You don't have to pretend to be anything other than the weak, broken sinner that you are and that I am. Because before the foundation of the world, that father set aside a never-ending chapter for you. In holy baptism, he washed you into the pages of the book of life. 
Before that, no, you had no story worth having, but now in Jesus, you have one that is full of mercy that covers everything. You and I, dear friend, we are main characters in the greatest story, the greatest story because it is the truest story. We are main characters, each and every one of us a star because Jesus did it all for you in the greatest, truest story ever told. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.